This is Aisha Oxley, and you're listening to Young, Original, and Black, the show that celebrates and uplifts the unique Black voices a part of this generation's creative class. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Um, This is your host, Aisha. Um, It's been a little bit longer than I intended, but, you know, we all out here doing our best in the middle of a panty. That's apparently the nickname now. Um, First off, though, I really want to say a big, big thank you for all of the love on my recent episodes, um, especially episode five. Um, If you haven't listened to that one, you might want to go back and check it out, um, as well as episode six with Ariel. Um, that one I think might have gotten a little bit lost in the election shuffle. So if you haven't listened to that one, also check it out as well. Um, and I'm just especially thankful to all of you who have left a review on Apple Podcasts. This is something that I asked about at the end of episode five. Um, reviews are just a really great signal of social proof for people who are introduced to the podcast and they want to figure out what it's all about. But yeah, I'm just so, I'm just so happy, um, because they have been so thoughtful and so genuine and I, um, am just really finding a lot of value in hearing the ways that you're finding value in the show. Um, so I'm going to read one of my favorites so far. Um, this is from Lion Vic, um, and the title is A Lovely and Important Listen. A beautiful podcast that speaks honestly and bravely to the highs and lows, the anxieties and the successes of being a creative in your 20s. Aisha has a refreshing candor and openness with her conversational style that invites people from all different professional and artistic backgrounds to learn from her stories as she dialogues with herself, her guests, and her audience at large. Her podcasts keep me grounded and motivated slash recharged creatively. Keep your week blessed up by hitting that subscribe button and staying tuned. Thank you so, so much. Um, I'm only going to read one, but you can go and read them on Apple Podcasts. Um, And I am going to go ahead and jump into the subject of this episode. Um, I had the pleasure to interview... Um, Nick Rich, who is a photographer that I met at a conference for Black women creatives and entrepreneurs. Her images of Black women are just so, so gorgeous. And you can tell um, that she really knows how to take a photograph, you know, Um, that she loves her craft. And she's also just a genuine soul. So I was super excited to have her on for this conversation. And here is her bio. Nick Rich is a multidisciplinary artist who uses photography to express her commitment to sharing the beauty of black women and men. In 2018, she had her first solo exhibition in DC and self-published her first book, Counterpoint, which was made to challenge the idea of beauty standards amongst black women. 
Nick has worked with black beauty staples such as Smooth and Shine and inclusive brand Savage and given lectures on the black impact on fashion. She is based in Los Angeles, where she continues to add to the positive imagery of her community. She draws her inspiration from Carrie Mae Weems, Shelley B., and Issa Hopkinson. Let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Nick. So with that, I want to welcome you to the show, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I think it's going to be a good one. So for the first part, I usually just do like an icebreaker um, and it's structured as like a Mad Libs. I'm mm-hmm. sure you did those like as a kid. I haven't um, done them so long. Yeah, I know. Good. I don't even know if they, because before they had like books you could buy. Do you yeah, that? I used to have them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to do that first. Um, the first question is, when I was a kid, you could probably find me doing blank. Playing in the woods. Playing in the woods. We have not gotten that yet. <laughs> okay. So where did you grow up, actually? I actually grew up in Northern Virginia, more specifically Woodbridge, Virginia. Okay. It's like about 20, 30 minutes outside uh, of D.C. South. Okay. Um, I moved there when I was about six from Brooklyn. Um, my mom just wanted a quieter, slower life. So she took gotcha. us out of Brooklyn and we moved down to the South. Okay. How was that growing up? I assume it was pretty rural since you're talking about the woods. Um, you know, it's rural in like a city sense. So mm. let's just say it's suburban. I, I, I okay. don't think it's necessarily rural, but um, just like within my like small neighborhood, we had like a a woods area it's just yeah. like there I don't know you know why um yeah I grew up kid, in New Jersey so it's it's kind of similar in terms yeah. of like geography yeah yeah so um yeah I used to I mean it was cool it, it was it was um a little difficult getting used to it for the first couple of years I mm-hmm. remember um just I didn't understand I didn't I couldn't sleep because it was so quiet for a really long time. Mm. Um, and you had already been like conditioned to that. Yeah. That to Brooklyn. Age. Yeah. Yeah. So to crown Heights. So it was just like, uh, like, what is this? And I was <laughs> nervous because I thought like people could like, you know, people were like sneaking around and they could mm-hmm. break into the house and we'll never know, you know, just like stuff yeah. like that. And I'm thinking about it that at age six, yeah. You know, and I just couldn't, I didn't understand what quiet living was, you know? Yeah. It's very, yeah. it's a different pace of life for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what the... were you like doing in the woods? Cause that, I want to like go back to your answer a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I made friends with like these two girls. Um, I lived in a cul-de-sac. So like in my little, we called it our court. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the girls, she had lived there, you know, much longer than I, so I made friends with her and she would just like show me just like, you know, the things that she would do. Mm. And we would just go into the woods and pretend like we were like on adventures and stuff. Um, I was reading a lot of Harry Potter and like, um, 
the treehouse. It was a it was a series of books, like a treehouse adventures or something like that. I like kind of remember two, that, yeah. Yeah, like these two <laughs> siblings would just like go on these imagination, these imagin- imaginative, um, you know, adventures. So we would just essentially do that. We would just act mm-hmm. like we were somewhere else, and we would just create our own little world and in the woods. <laughs> and then it had like a little creek, so we would like you know, like jump over the creek and play in the creek. Like I was, I turned into a real, real country girl real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you think like all of that, like playing and creating these like imaginary worlds that were kind of based on your reading, did that like feed into being like in- artistically inclined? Were you like creating things at that age? Were you into the arts at all? Yeah, um, I've been into the arts literally just from from the go. Um, mm-hmm. When I was younger, I used to have like this Fisher Price like kids desk. So the top of the desk, like you can write on it and mm-hmm. and like erase it, and then under and then it like opens up and it has like an open container. You know what? I had one of those too. <laughs> yeah, and I loved it. Like that's uh-huh. where you would find me in the house when I was mm-hmm. like like uh, like really young like photos mm-hmm. of me of like three and four but I vividly remember just like sitting there and drawing things yeah. and my brother was also really into Legos and I love like the colors of the Legos so like me and my brother would play constantly we would me and him actually used to come up with adventures in the house as well like me and my mm-hmm. brother were very imaginative like if we weren't able to go outside we would like you know be like knights in the house mm-hmm. <laughs> and like pretend like we had swords and he'd be a ninja and I'd be, you know, like we, I I was always playing even to this day. I try and play as much as I can possibly. Um, Yeah. It's so crucial to like your practice as an artist, no matter what you decide to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, I think it's crucial to being, to just everyone, even if you're not an artist, because I think, constantly expanding and creating new worlds within your mind like it 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 feeds the creativity you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and you can pull from creativity no matter what it is that you do in life for sure um yeah but yeah I've always been into the arts my mom has been into the arts but more indirectly Mm -hmm. um my mom is from Guyana okay and um you know immigrant coming to America, you just head down, you just mm-hmm. do what you have to do to basically survive, right? Mm-hmm. So she never really got the opportunity to explore that side of her. Mm-hmm. But like it came out, like when she was decorating the house, like when she was upholstering like the couch and mm-hmm. just like her magazine clippings, like she never actually really did anything or pursued anything, but it was there. Yeah. So I definitely got it from her as well. There's always, if you're a creative person, the artistry comes out no matter what you're doing, whether or not you like sit down and decide, okay, I'm going to be an artist and like paint or do whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it'll just naturally bleed into whatever it is that you do with your life. So yeah, I definitely feel that. The next Mad Lib is Mm -hmm. my favorite. And I feel like you kind of answered some of this in your bio but I'm gonna ask it anyway my favorite photographer is oh man um it's crazy because I'm always asking myself this 
Um, mm. And although Carrie really, she's high on that on that list. Mm-hmm. There are just so many different photographers that have impacted me that I don't know if I can have one singular, you know, favorite yeah. photographer. Um, Does it depend on like kind of where you're at in life? Do you find that it changes based on like what you're doing and your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, it depends on what I need. It depends mm-hmm. on how I'm like. What, what do I feel like I'm missing? What, what am I looking for at the moment? Um, mm-hmm. um, Dawu Bay, he's someone that I've been recent, uh, recently pulling from. Um, okay. Just the way that he approaches his subjects. Um, and for thought- anyone who's not familiar with his work, how would you describe it? Oh, man. Like, if you can think of one image that he's made that you can kind of share with the audience oh um it's crazy because when I think of his work I also think of his words um how would I explain his work his work visually is not complicated as all at all mm-hmm. it's it's the thought behind it um um I would just say realistic um I would say it's like a it, it, he does he makes portraits it's mm-hmm. portraiture. Um, but just to say that, for me, it's difficult because it seems like a that more simplified be... version of what he actually does. Okay. Um, but he makes portraits. Um, um, he has a series that he did of young, uh, like middle school to high school kids. Mm-hmm. He has a series that he did where he walked around Harlem and he photographed you know, the residents of the, of the, of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a beautiful, um, video. I don't know if it actually has stills, but he did a beautiful video, um, uh, project of the South. Okay. Um, Let me actually Google him real quick. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like I know who you're talking about, but I have not looked at his work in a while. Yeah, this is this is really dope stuff. Yeah, um and the thoughts the thought that goes into every single portrait is is I feel like is the meat of it all. Is he like talking to his subjects or like what do you what do you like identify with about the thoughts that are going or the process that he's going through? He thinks about everything. Everything in the portrait. Mhm. So, um, did you just go to his Google and you see mm-hmm. like his, okay. So there's this image of, hmm. um, the way that he, he doesn't necessarily talk to his portraits too much, right? Mm-hmm. His thing is that he just allows his subjects to come as they are. And from there, he kind of, um, he starts to, he starts to build the portrait. So he may shift the, the, um, the subject a little bit, you know, put your hand on your lap, but he won't necessarily have them do something that isn't innate to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. Um, Portraiture is one of those things where it's like, 
is the subject bringing themselves to it or is Mm -hmm. this the photographer's point of view? So I totally understand. Yeah. And you know, I personally, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the deeper you get into your practice um, and you start thinking about, okay, how do I want to photograph this person? Um, And you start thinking about your intentions when you, when you set up for a portrait and you start to build one, you know, you start thinking about the lighting, you start thinking about the environment, you start Mm -hmm. thinking about what are the, what do these things mean and how will this impact my subject, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when you start thinking in that way, that's you also bringing yourself to the portrait. For sure. You know, it's kind of like a, like a conversation that ends up in an image solidified. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so crazy because photography, I don't even know how to explain it, but like, I'm so in love. Like I love photographs period. (laughs) And the technical stuff that, that could be fun too. Mm -hmm. But what's really beautiful about photography sometimes is like, like in street photography, like that, that decisive moment, you know, Mm -hmm. like that something that you probably, it's like something you didn't, you might've not seen if you didn't capture it on camera, you know, kind of like a micro expression. Like you wouldn't have seen that if we didn't have this frozen in time. Mm -hmm. Um, it allows you to kind of like step back from what you're seeing. And cause when you're moving through the world, like you're seeing things, but you're not always seeing things. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. You're looking, but you're not always seeing. I exactly. think that's the distinction that's often made. And exactly. photography helps us to do that. That's what I'm hearing from you anyway. Yeah. And, um, I love, love, love portraits mm-hmm. that the longer you stare at them, the more you are discovering about, you know, the subject or the environment. Mm-hmm. I love photos that make you stare. Yeah. You know, and you start like, oh my God, look at that little piece of paper in the corner. It says this and, and how things can relate, you mm-hmm. know, like, ah, photos are just, they're just so beautiful and necessary and, um, I think maybe in today's time, innate. Mm. What do you mean by that? Today, when everyone, when you see something beautiful, what's the first thing you want to do? Take a photo. Yeah. The re the reflex is that. Yeah. So I feel like now it's just, you know, human nature to just take a photo of something. And what do you... I feel like we're probably just going to move on from the Mad Libs because we're getting so deep into like the meaty stuff. But um, do you feel like that kind of has watered down how we look at photographers or do you think that just empowers people to think that they can be photographers or what? Um, I think regardless if we had technology or not, mm-hmm. right? Um. Or rather, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how accessible. I think there's always going to be people in any industry that make a mockery of that industry. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily think that it has 
watered it down. I think it's just given access to people who may not have had it. Yeah, that's a good word. Um, and of course, you're going to have your people who, you know, just take photos on iPhone photography and they're, you know, bringing in 100K a year. And you're like, what the f-? And you look at their photos <laughs> and you're like, did you even think about this? You know what I mean? Mm. So there are going to be those people, those Jeff Coons of them all. Oh man, but, I hate that guy. <laughs> man, don't get me started on Jeff Coons. But anyway, I'm sure that could be a whole <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> but um, but I think it's just given access, and mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen the beauty that has come out of access for sure. Because before then, it was just like the top, you know, the top 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 photographers are the only ones who white photographers who have Mm -hmm. the ability to make a career out of photography, right? Yeah. The untouchables. But now I have an iPhone, like you can't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. And they're now making way through, through the industry. And it's, it's beautiful to see. Yeah. Um, I think, um, piece of that that you just touched on is really important that like previously, and I, I think this can we can speak about this in terms of like a lot of different disciplines is like with time technology has given access to so many demographics of people who were not able to access these art forms because there was the barrier of entry of buying the equipment or buying the supplies exactly because it's um, not a cheap hobby mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's not um, and just like art in general is really not, but yeah. there are so many points of entry and touch points now that there is a much lower barrier to entry if you really feel that desire and pull toward it. So mm-hmm. I, I agree that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's get into the the meat of this interview. Um, and I love how the Mad Lips kind of just took us there anyway. Mm-hmm. But how did how did you first get into photography? What was your your point of entry for it? Um, my grandfather, mm. literally the most amazing human being to ever touch this earth. I mean, talk my about God. it. He's just he's eighty one now. Mm-hmm. I've never met such an open and accepting um, older person. Really? Maybe this is just my experience, but, um, I just think he's so amazing and he's just, he's so kind mm-hmm. and understanding. It's just, he's just, he's just so amazing. I love him. And he also literally has like amazing taste. My God. Mm. Um, so he was a photographer too? My grandfather was not a photographer. He was a tailor. Okay. Oh, Okay. And my grandfather just, he enjoys design. Mm -hmm. He just understands naturally the elements of design. Mm. And so my grandfather had like a 35 millimeter Canon, you know, AU1 that he would literally, he would photograph, you know, parties and just like family gatherings with it. Mm -hmm. But he always composed every portrait really beautifully. Mm -hmm. And back in Virginia, like we have like a photo album with like all these images, like they're Mm -hmm. just so gorgeous. And I expressed my interest in photography and he just, you know, he gave me, um, he gave me his camera 
And at the time, I had just started school, Savannah College of Art and Design. Okay. Or rather, I didn't just start it, but I was I was in it. Mm-hmm. I was in school. Um, and I needed one for class, and he gave it to me. Um, so it's a little bit of, like, school and just personal interest. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather giving me a tool that ultimately would propel me into film mm-hmm. and then into digital and our conversations um, helped me with just thinking about portraits and how to take them and how to build them. Your conversations um, with your grandfather? With my grandfather. Yeah. Okay. How would um, he, what was he, what were you discussing with him? <laughs> it's so cute because now like I just throw these rules out the window, but like he was talking about like things like rule of thirds and like, mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's like a pole behind someone's head, like, you know, (laughs) make sure the pole's not coming out their head or trees and stuff, you know, make sure the background, you know, works well with like the the people that you're photographing and just stuff like that. And, you know, but that's like, that's the foundations and the rules and you all, it's good to know the rules so that you know, intentionally when you're breaking them and why. Yeah, it's important. It's also funny because anyone who knows me and speaks to me for like an extended period of time will know that my grandfather is also one of my my biggest inspirations and mm-hmm. was like my entry into the art world. So it's mm-hmm. funny that we have that that similarity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is also very big on on the rules, but I, I thank him for that um, because it, I think it gives you more confidence when when you know the rules and you kind of know the history of things Mm -hmm. and you're like okay I'm choosing at this moment to step out of that and to like break away from the norms yeah yeah um yeah so from there I um you know I think I may have my timelines messed up a little bit because I think oh, I really? was using yeah I think I was using I was still in school and he still gave me the camera mm-hmm. but I think at the time I don't know if I mentioned it or not but I was in Hong Kong that's what it was mm-hmm. I was going to school in Hong Kong and then I moved to Atlanta and started using the camera specifically for school okay but, but before he just gave me the camera and I was just like you know using it uh-huh. um, on my own so you're kind of like messing around with it and like trying yeah. to what? Mm-hmm. Just like playing with it. Cause like we found like this, like film, um, this camera guy in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and like, he would just like tell us just anything we wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would just go down to his store and talk to him. And then I would just like use whatever information he gave me. Plus, you know, whatever I was using in school, learning in school and just kind of like running around the city, just like taking like 35 millimeter portraits. I've always heard that when photographers are serious, they're like, you got to learn how to take photos in 35 millimeter. Really? Um, yeah, I have heard that. I feel like I, well, I understand why people say that, Mm -hmm. but for me, like I'm just a rebel, like period. Mm -hmm. So if anyone would have told me that I'd be like, man, whatever. But I, I definitely get it. Um, I think they say it's it's because it like mirrors what your eye naturally sees or something like that, like the focal length. Well, I think that's just lenses in general, Mm -hmm. but I think it is important. So I guess I do support it a little bit. (laughs) It is important because it teaches you to slow down. 
because if you don't essentially end up wasting money because you're buying film and you're and time because you're developing these these shitty portraits you know what i mean mm-hmm. so with film you definitely slow down because you you think about every single frame you have mm-hmm. about 24 frames mm-hmm. so you're like okay i gotta get this right because i think now what is a roll mm-hmm. nine dollars i think per roll so you wow. when you start adding it up you it know pricey. like it gets pricey if you're if you were in school with me i guess it's still a little pricey but at least you didn't have to print it or develop it because mm-hmm. you could take care of that on your own. Yeah. But like, it just makes you slow down. So I think it is nice to learn on the 35 first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is nice to learn to develop your own film. And I think it is really nice to learn how to print your own, like in the, in the dark room. Mm-hmm. I think it's all just really beautiful. Um, but I naturally just like, I, I love photography. So I try my hardest to know and understand from I mean as much history as possible mm-hmm. but um yeah I guess I kind of do agree that but you don't necessarily have to also I want to state like you don't have to if yeah you of course don't have the mm-hmm. access to film and what you have is a digital point and shoot like do what you do with what you have but no. it is and nice I think that the same the same principle of slowing down like you can choose to intentionally slow down on mm-hmm. a digital little point and shoot or whatever you have so mm-hmm. it's just about a mindset thing I think is why people say that then yeah but so you're you're at this point you're in college um were you like thinking seriously about becoming a photographer learn long term what was your like mindset at that point um oh my god you know what can we go back a little bit? Cause sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. Cause I'm like, I blanked, but also what got me started in photography was, um, my sister kind of. Okay. So at one point I was going to school with my sister. So like I would go to co- like she was in college and I would like attend classes with her. Okay. And, and younger I'm, than your sister or? Yeah. So my sister's nine years older than me. Okay. So I was in about, what, like ninth grade. And it was like eighth or ninth grade, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And um, in the mornings before we go to work, I mean, school, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. there was this picture. There was this Mac Cosmetics postcard that my sister had on her fridge. Mm-hmm. So this is what really sparked like, oh, I think I want to do this. And it was, um, I guess they just released, which now I think is like appropriation and just like horrible, but okay, because <laughs> I can't find the images anywhere on the internet, like at um. all. But they released this um, makeup set that was like, I guess, like Asian and like green tea inspired. Mm, yeah, it sounded a little appropriating. <laughs> but they had a white model, so yeah. hello. Anyway, yeah. let's not, I mean, we could, but let's not go down that road. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the tea was like falling off of her head and there was like tea coming out of the tea cup and she looked really beautiful and her skin was, you know, like porcelain. So mm-hmm. it was just really beautiful. And I would literally wake up every morning 
get that postcard, eat a bowl of cereal and stare at it. Like, how did they do this? Like, can Mm. I do this? And what do I have to do in order to do this? Yeah. And then my sister was, she was a communications major and one of her classes um, required like a camera and like taking photos and stuff. Mm -hmm. But she had like a million, she had like so much work to do. So I would just take her camera and like, just take photos of things just all the time, everywhere about whatever. I never, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have intent, but I just wanted to take a photograph and I wanted to make it look really beautiful. So I was just using her camera, taking all these photos. And then I ended up like having to take photos for her schoolwork for her. Mm -hmm. So from there, that really sparked like, oh, like, I'm definitely going to do this. Like, this is it. Yeah, basically, you're taking the classes at that point. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to, this is just what I'm going to do. And that's when I like, that's when it sparked. And from there, like a couple years later, I was in college myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather gave me my camera and then, yeah, from there. Okay. So now the timelines are, are matching up. Now we're on it. Yeah. Now we got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at the end of college, then I should say, what was mm-hmm. your next step? Um, well, while I was in college, um, I had to come home, like back to the States, um, mm-hmm. during like summer and stuff. So I was always looking for something to occupy my time with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would take like internships and do like little things. Mm -hmm. So I got this one internship in, um, in New York, um, at this photo agency. So they, it was like a rep, like it was a photo rep, um, agency. I would like do little things just like intern stuff. And then like, sometimes I'd be like a production assistant Mm -hmm. and, um, for From people there, who don't know what's a production assistant. So a production assistant, a PA, is basically um, an assistant. Uh, so let's just say you're gearing up for, you know, a big shoot. Let's just say for Mac Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to. You need help getting everything together. So if the photographer is flying in from, you know, another state. You have to get their lodging. You have to help them get their car rental if they're not taking care of it on their end. Mm-hmm. And we were, I was at a rep agency. So this agency took care of stuff like that for the photographers. They would basically just send them an itinerary and they would just show up. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, just doing all that stuff. And then on the day of like, of the, of the two day or the three day shoot, you would just basically maybe get coffee make sure everything looks presentable. If the client wants this, 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 let's just say magazines on the table and like, Mm -hmm. you know, orange juice or whatever, get that stuff. Just like making sure everything is set and in place and just doing anything that you're, that's asked of you. Mm -hmm. So logistics behind the scenes. Yeah, basically. Um, so I was just, I was, I, I would sometimes do that. Um, one time I ended up being a hand model for American Express. Okay. <laughs> so, so that worked out, I guess. Um, and mind you at the time, I promise you I'm going to answer your question, but I think it all, it all. I think you're answering it. Well, then, um, at the time when I got the internship, right, mm-hmm. I was in Virginia and I was looking for internships in New York and I got it. And then I was like, okay, great. Like my family lives in Crown Heights. I'm just going to go stay with them. So I went there one weekend or one week for the interview and they're like, great, you know, of course you have it. So I went back to my aunt's house and my uncle started asking me for rent 
I was like, I get paid in sandwiches. Like I don't have money. (laughs) Like, you know, they weren't paying me. Mm -hmm. So, um, so after that point, like, honestly, I had to hop on the mega bus four times a week to go to this internship. So I was driving four hours or on a bus for four hours twice. Well, one, two, three, four four times a week for an internship that was two times, two days out the week. Okay. So every day that is not every day, but like twice in one day. Yeah. Twice in one day. That is, it's a lot, but I got so used to it that it just was nothing. I would sleep on the bus and I, the bus literally dropped me off two blocks from my internship at mm. FIT. Okay. So I literally just walked up two blocks and I was there and on time. Like the timing was crazy. Wow. Um, and then I would just like leave right after my internship. And cause I was so broke, I would walk like 20 blocks to get to, I don't even know where I was going. I think I was trying to like, hop on a train to get as close as I could to the Javits Center because at the time there was no train that went to the Javits Center. Mm. It was just a lot. So, um, and I literally was working off $20 a day. So to get a Metro to possibly like get back on the Metro to have food on the way home. Like I literally, when I tell you, I learned how to make $20 stretch Girl, I bet. <laughs> girl. And they were paying me in sandwiches and they that's, told me I had something in New York. Cause that food will get you paying for food. Girl. Exactly. And I had no money. So yeah. they, at every lunch, I would get a really big lunch, mm-hmm. eat half of it and then save the and rest save of the it rest, yep. for like my travels home. <laughs> but, um, but every week, like I didn't have anywhere to stay. So I would, you know, be on the bus constantly. And I think I had like a couple couches to like surf on, like maybe like two weeks out of the, however long I had this internship. Mm -hmm. It was just ridiculous. But I had did, I I mean, I did all of that. And I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily want to work in an office per se. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, being able to have this experience at the, at the agency was great, but you know, to get the ins and outs of what's happening, but I want to work on set. I want to, you know, I want to do the things. Yeah. So that's where I kind of was just like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So after college, I, I was like, okay, I don't want to go home. I was dreading it, but I was like, well, how else are you going to get on your feet? Like mm-hmm. you have to go home and stack. So I went home for a year. I worked like 10 hour days at this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, um, like a, um, like a five-star restaurant in like DC mm-hmm. and I saved all of my money. I bought a camera and I saved some more money and I bought a car and I saved some more money. Mm-hmm. And after a year, literally to the day I quit mm-hmm. my job and I hopped in a car and I went to LA and I moved to LA to, you know, further pursue photography. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to work in a restaurant. I don't want to work in an office, you know, all these things. So, um, after school literally was just, okay, we're going to go do this. 
But that's that's sometimes how it has to look is like you put in, you know what you want and you are just hustling until until you make it so that you are in a position to get there, you know? Yeah. And basically I feel like that is that's the story for so many artists. Like some it's sometimes kind of circular in how we get to where we want to be. Um, because mm-hmm. it's not like other career paths where, okay, I'm gonna go to school and then after school, I'm gonna have a degree and then I can qualify for these jobs and then I'll just move up the ladder. Like yeah. it's so circuitous for most of us that mm-hmm. you just kind of have to do what you have to do until until you make it happen. It seems like it seems like you did that. So that's a really inspiring story. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't think most of us coming out of college have that kind of resolve. Um, mm-hmm. So hats off to you that you were able to make that happen. Um, My biggest motivation is I'm not staying in Woodbridge. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you have to have that. You, you're like, I. this is not what I want to be doing. So how do I just stay as far away from that as possible? Yeah. Um, yep. So you're, you're in LA still, right? You're still in LA. Yeah, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what has what has the journey been like since then? Bumpy as hell. I mean, crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It didn't just stop after like that of little course, internship. Of course, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, girl, it's so hilly, girl. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just been a lot of like self ex- uh, exploration, and and it's been, it's. I guess ultimately, it's just been a lot about learning about self, really. Mm-hmm. Um. Lately, it's been a lot about self-improvement. Um, but, I mean, it's just, it's been crazy <laughs> to be, to simplify it. Yeah. I'm, that's also true for many artists. Um, yeah. So, I do want to get into, like, some of the work that you have done. Because um, mm-hmm. it seems like you, based on your bio, you've been doing a mix of, like, working with brands and shooting mm-hmm. for them and also doing personal work, like in your exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to ask, like, what do you think are some of the challenges of being a Black woman in the beauty fashion space, I guess you could call it, um, as a photographer or, like, otherwise from what you've observed? It's just been about, one, me believing in myself. And I think sometimes, to be totally honest, um, thinking about the challenges that black women have mm-hmm. period, it kind of gets the best of me. Yeah. Like it kind of holds me back a little bit if I mm-hmm. think about it in that way. Um, which is like I was saying it, uh, lately it's been about self-improvement. So it's like, yes, you're a black woman in a space where we're not typically welcomed, but you can still do it and you deserve it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my challenge yeah of having this thing hold me back so kind of like getting out of your own head yeah yeah basically yeah I feel that Mm -hmm. um do you think you're you're at a point where you could look back and give advice to to other like younger black photographers who are kind of trying to follow a similar path Oh, um, no, (laughs) not really, but, um, I would just say 
literally one stay out of your head go your hardest and learn to differentiate between an excuse because we tell ourselves things right like mm-hmm. oh i can't do you know uh, uh. learn to differentiate between the excuse and you know an actual problem or cause mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. so oh i can't run my knee is broken like yeah you you can't yeah you know or oh i can't run this 2k because you just don't have the stamina but you can build that stamina up. up. So Mm -hmm. that's an excuse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's internal versus external. Exactly. Like really learn to trust yourself and learn to listen to yourself. Like Mm -hmm. that little voice, we all have it Mm -hmm. and we all deny it whenever, you know, we want and we listen to it whenever we want. But I think that we should learn to listen to it all the time. Mm. And I'm not talking about that little negative voice. I'm talking about the voice, that honest voice that we all have. Mm-hmm. We have to tap into it and we have to listen to it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I have a little, a little bit to tell the kids. But. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to reframe it as just like your takeaways um, from your journey, because I think like we all, we all have those, even if we don't think like, oh, I'm at this point where like, I can, I can give back to the youngins it's like well Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just like as you're moving through and Mm -hmm. you're still in it you feel like oh well I'm not past this yet so Mm -hmm. I need to get past it in order to allow myself to have any takeaways or wisdom from this but I feel like when you're young sometimes is the best time to still be reaching back, you know, because you're kind Mm -hmm. of in a similar place. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like when I ask older artists for advice, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're very, I don't know, maybe not standoffish, but dismissive because Mm -hmm. they're so far from where I'm at in my journey. Like they haven't been struggling for a while. So for them to put themselves back into that mindset it takes a lot more than it would for someone who's just kind of like gotten to a point where they're feeling themselves a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah. Like if you've Um, gotten to a certain level of success, I sometimes feel like it, it, that advice doesn't do it for me anymore. mm. That's interesting. Um, It depends on the person, of course, but I'm just like, for certain people it's like, okay, this advice is useless. Like, you're so far removed from this. You're out of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that that is the advice you gave about listening to that honest voice is, like, something we all, even artist or creative or whatever, like, that People, is something period. you just, you got to tap yeah. into that for sure. So yeah. that is a gem. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell from your work, and you've spoken about this already, that you're choosing to shoot black women um mm-hmm. was was this always a choice that you were making or did you have to come to it over time um so one yes it was always a choice um but looking back it's crazy I was looking back at like some older because I keep inspiration in notebooks like mm-hmm. I typically like draw out the ideas that I have in my head and like paste like images or colors in the notebook to reference you know for that shoot Mm -hmm. 
So I had like a bunch of notebooks like that. And I was looking back and I referenced a lot of white beauty when I was younger. Because mm-hmm. you're talking about the, the first photograph that you really liked was that white model who's posing as Asian. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's probably dug its way into my subconscious as beauty standard. Anyway. Um, it has for everyone. So. <laughs> right. I know. And it's. God, I could talk about like this is a whole nother podcast. I would love to like just lay out beauty standards and everything that's expected of us. Um, so yes, I I started out with the idea to shoot black women because that's that's what I grew up around. That's what I think is beautiful. That's that's just it. Mm-hmm. And but I was also referencing a lot of white things for you know these beauty shoots that I was setting up when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um. My idea was, like, I'm going to be the photographer that, this is me in college, that, like, changes the beauty industry and shows our beauty and, you know, puts it on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. Quite ambitious. um, But I've always wanted to share, you know, our beauty with the world in a positive light. to just show like, you know, whatever y'all doing over there, like that's cool, but like we're fly. Mm-hmm. Like you need to like <laughs> pay attention and, you know, work with us. Yeah. Um, I feel like the irony of that is that they are paying attention and they are now. taking from us. <laughs> um, See, and that's the thing. Like, yes, they very much are aware of how great we are. That's mm-hmm. where the culture comes from. Cause exactly. we create it all right. And mm-hmm. they just keep, I can't help, but keep going back to Tommy Hilfiger. Like mm-hmm. what happened with Tommy Hilfiger? Do you remember like you, like in the nineties, like he had his whole, he had a collection of like streetwear, like baggy oh, clothes and yes, like all Tommy that Hilfiger stuff. Was huge in the 90s. That's not Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. That's not Tommy Hilfiger. And the man, that's not him at all. Mm-hmm. Like it was just so, because it's a traditionally like preppy brand that was more so their lane, right? Before yeah. Before black people popularized it for right. Culture. So um, it's crazy. I'm actually doing a lecture on something like that um, on Tuesday next Tuesday. But okay, is um, it? Can people like watch it online? No, it's it's actually for our class. Oh, um, okay. I would love to share it, so I'll see if that's you know possible or whatever. But um, for the most part, I think it's just for the students. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, so that's, so yes, I've always wanted to do that. And, you know, I started out, you know, wanting to share our beauty and saying basically, hey, we're just as good as you are. But that idea has evolved into like, you know, your beauty standards are cool and you can do whatever you want to do over there. But this is what we're doing over here. And I no longer want acceptance from you. Mm. I'm just like, I'm happy with who we are. We are happy with who we are. And we're going to just now make stuff for each other. You know what I mean? So like the whole boom of, you know, black businesses creating beauty products for black people, black men and women. The Um, natural hair movement. The natural hair movement, just all of it. And, um, 
just since then it's just it's just evolving yeah um but the foundation of everything i do is just to uplift the black woman period yeah which is how directly to us is that's who your work is for yeah um yeah so that's how i came up with uh counterpoint and that's how i came up with counterpoint the book Mm -hmm. um in the book every page is laced with encouraging with an encouraging note with the intent that once you get to the end of the book like you feel seen or you feel inspired or you feel you know like like you feel like this book was made for you Mm. um and it's a book of just black people and it's just my baby but yes I make I make work for black women so that kind of like one of the things we were bringing up in there, I think is a good segue into this question about representation. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's been a, a huge buzzword for a few years now. Um, but there are always these indicators of how far we have to go. I think most recently earlier this summer when like everyone it was like June second mm. was that Girl. blackout day, and then every brand was like, "We stand so against racism." They're so whack. I and hate all of them. <laughs> exactly. So you know what happened. You were there. Um, so I remember distinctly though, as a part of that whole crazy time, was um, Vogue saying that they needed to do better because I feel like they just had their first black photographer who shot Beyonce. Do you uh-huh. remember that? I don't yeah. I don't recall his name, but um Micah Carter. Yeah. So and that was Beyonce's doing, obviously. It wasn't Vogue who said, okay, we need a black photographer for Beyonce. Right. Um but then it became this conversation with like the Vogue challenge and Oh, then... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was Tyler Mitchell, not Micah. Okay. Who's Micah? Because that sounds familiar too. He's another young black artist. Okay. Um, photographer. A photographer, yeah. Mm-hmm. He um, makes really beautiful portraits, but Tyler Mitchell was okay. uh, who did Vogue. And Mike has Micah shot other like celebrities? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there was the Vogue challenge. Um, and then it became this conversation, especially on black Twitter, of like, okay, we're just taking a step backwards if like we're still trying to fit into these outlets that do they're like okay here's your seat at the table like here take it you know it's almost like we had to pry it out of their hands like do we really want to be involved in that or do we just take all this talent all this flyness and bring it on over to our own outlets because we have our own magazines like essence and ebony etc we just don't always uplift them in the same way that we have this sort of reverence for vogue or you know we can even talk about it in terms of like fashion designers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering do you take a side in that conversation do you do you think that we need to take a side where do you come down on that yeah um you know I go back and forth with this because starting out I wanted to shoot for the Vogue's you know for the Harper's for the the everything right um and it's a natural impulse for a lot of us yeah, because you see you see the quality that's coming out of it. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's like, like you're attaching like a quality standard to it. Yeah. That's what it is. And um, for the record, like 
I wouldn't mind being in Essence. <laughs> I wouldn't mm. mind being in Ebony. You know, call me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, do we need this recognition? I constantly ask myself that all the time because it's like, I think it is very important to make stuff for us, mm-hmm. by us, because all that's going to happen is they just going to take it and water it down and make it their own mm-hmm. if it's on a Vogue or whatever, whatever. So it's just like... It has to be palatable for white people. Yeah. And not saying, but but also I think you can show up fully as yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if I'm contradicting at all, let me know. Um, I'm following so far. Okay. Um so I don't, I don't think it's wrong to want to be in a Vogue. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's wrong. Um, but I do think that we should look at Ebony and Essence with the same eyes as a Vogue, as a Harper's. We should want both of them equally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I'm still processing is it is it worth it? Is it still the thing to strive for? I mean, Vogue still has, you know, the weight. <laughs> yeah. Just because a couple people are mad or the world is mad doesn't take away what Vogue is and the yeah. weight that they carry, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm still in that process of, you know, asking myself that question. Yeah. I think it's tough. I think most of us go through it because it's like, it's like you're saying, if Vogue called you tomorrow and was like, shoot, I'm going, you're going, right. I'm going. But also (laughs) if Ebony called me, I'm going. Exactly. I mean, I think it puts the onus on us more so than like how culture has been shaped thus far. And I think yeah. it's it's worth it to say, like, we're moving the culture regardless of these outlets. Like, these the Vogues are coming to us. They're just not always giving us the credit or giving us the positions behind the scenes. But there would be no Vogue without Black people. Absolutely right. not. Because what are they going to report on? Fashion is us. Culture is us. Beauty is us. So it's it becomes almost silly to be like, okay do I choose? It's like, no, like it's me. Like I'm doing all of this anyway, regardless. So, um, you know what? I think about that and I'm just like, well, I think Vogue may be a little special because they are more for the European style. Okay. You know, like not saying that we didn't influence them at all. Like that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think if we weren't here, they would just keep biting and biting off of like, you know, what's the French woman wearing today and how does she eat one snack a day and drink coffee all day? You know, like, yeah, white people are obsessed with black culture and white people are also obsessed with like European culture. <laughs> it's like if it's made in, in Italy, which yes. If it's made in Italy, you know it has quality, but like 
anything European they go for. Mm. Like that's the epitome of beauty, period. Um, so I think, I don't know, maybe they would have something going without us. It would be very white and very it would be different. <laughs> I, I think that's, yeah, that's what I'm getting at is like yeah. the flavor of it would be gone. Like yeah. whatever flavor is mixed up in Vogue, it's yeah. going to be, it's good. If, right now they have like, a, to compare it to coffee, like there's, so there's cream in there and there's mm-hmm. like sugar and, mm-hmm. or food, there's like seasoning, you know, like, yeah. but if you take us out of the equation, I think that looks very different. Um, yeah. Definitely. So that's, yeah, that's more so the point I'm trying to get at. White people, yeah. I mean, I guess they have their things, whatever. <laughs> so they can have that. Why? Fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So then I guess well, now that we have that out of the way, for you, and I think you can speak more broadly to this, however you want to mm-hmm. answer it, what do you think is the impact of seeing Black women or black people in general photographed well, like when they're photographed by us, for us, this question I also kind of wanted to hear about like the difference of when a white person photographs black people or like the whole team for oh. this shoot is like white and yeah, how yeah, black yeah. people are styled. And I feel like those choices are always different. And I say that and that's being kind <laughs> to say different. Yeah. So you know about the Annie Leibovitz? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I do. Yeah, so um, a couple things. So there's the Annie Leibovitz, Simone Biles, like fiasco. Mm-hmm. If you can um, check it out real quick. Um, but I also feel like there's definitely a difference. Oh, yeah. I do remember this when she. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, there's definitely a difference when white people photograph black people. Um, and of course there are those, um, situations where, uh, you know, you have someone who knows how to interact with people. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel like there is, what's what is it called there's like um apprehension um from the photographer to engage with the subject right Mm -hmm. or like or the lack of knowledge of what we may need um and I'm talking about the whole set so photographer hair makeup everything Mm -hmm. um stylist and, and, and what I'm talking about, the reason why it's difficult for me, for me to say it, it's like, it's nuanced. Like, there are just some things that I will get mm-hmm. off that when photographing some of my clients versus if they had a white man photographing them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at your hair. I'm mm-hmm. looking at your clothes. I'm looking at so many different things that I know is important to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that resonance. Exactly. Right. And even if it's a white woman and, you know, she may know about beauty and hair and stuff, but she is not thinking about your hair the way I'm thinking about your hair. Mm-hmm. Cause it's very important. Right. It's almost so, like you as a black person know what it's like to be in your body 
and show up in your body every day and present that to the world. Exactly. And they will never understand that. Right. And then when it comes to like lighting, mm-hmm. I understand cool tones, warm tones, black skin tones, the red tone. Like I understand tones and melanin. If you're a good photographer, you should understand this too. Right. It's not just because I'm black, I get what black Mm -hmm. is. But if you're a good photographer, you understand how to expose for black skin, how to light Mm -hmm. for black skin, you know, and even in post coloring, how to color for black skin. Mm -hmm. And when I say this, if any other photographers are listening to this, I mean, in terms of color balancing for true color, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like color, you know, like adding any like additional, you know, like color to it. Um, For people who don't understand that, what do you mean? I mean, basically trying to get the color as true to what it was like on set on your computer screen, Mm -hmm. possibly the next day or days later. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mean, when I say that, I mean true to like her, like black skin tone, mm-hmm. you know, like knowing what highlights look like and knowing what midtones look like um, and knowing what, what, what kind of black skin she has. Like mm-hmm. undertone, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so innate to me and, and it's really hard for me to articulate because articulate because it's just in me. Mm-hmm. Um. But nonetheless, if you are a photographer and you understand the the understand photography, you should get it. Yeah, it's fundamentals. Regardless, really, of your that's what tone. it is. But some people just aren't 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 getting it. Um, I think it's partly because they don't always have to get it to be successful. Exactly, and they don't have to get it if they don't want to. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't get me started. But um, so the Annie Leibovitz thing with Simone to me really um, it threw me for a little bit of a loop because un, I, I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like Annie didn't know how to photograph black people. <laughs> okay. Annie Leibovitz has a very specific style very specific it's as if I mean it's, she just knows how to shoot one way and a lot of people on the internet went into the photo I saw and like edited it themselves and made it like super saturated and you know made it you know I guess how they okay. would shoot it. yeah exactly right but the thing about Annie Annie is a She's a conceptual artist. Conceptual, sorry. (laughs) She's a conceptual artist. And if you read the story, Simone touches on, you know, her former coach and, you know, the sexual assault that Mm -hmm. she went through and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that tying into Annie's style, it was supposed, the images were supposed to touch on her dark past. Yeah. that she 
you know, they're went very through. like moody images. They're not right. like exuberant or they're not meant to be bright and sunny and mm-hmm. fucking, you know, excuse me. I curse a lot. Sorry. It's fine. They're not, <laughs> they're not meant to be bright and sunny, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the internet really went crazy with it. Yeah. And I just was just like this, now, actually, to touch on something possibly earlier on in our conversation, mm-hmm. this may be the downside of when people think like having having um, having access to to things, editing, pro- you know, mm-hmm. programs and stuff where they may get a little crazy. And it just seemed like no one did their homework. No one, no one, no one did the work. Yeah. Um. So. I think there's a difference between not knowing how to photograph black people, period, and having intent and having a concept. Yeah. Like making choices. And I think that's very important to state, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for this matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm looking at the photos again, and I don't. I don't remember why. <laughs> like, if I just saw these, I'd be like, oh, this is like a, a, obviously a story with like a deeper tone to it because of the way that these photos are shot. Yeah. Um, but I don't think people read that story <laughs> either. No, that's what I'm saying. They just no jumped the to all the conclusions. Yeah, exactly like you're saying. Yeah. I think it, it would have been a different conversation if the photographer was black just any black photographer. I think it would have been like, cause people on Twitter and how the internet likes to discuss things. It's very like instant snap judgments. Like I want to sure. get my 140 characters off real quick so I can blow yeah. up. Girl. And then let's just say it was a black photographer and it literally looked exactly like this. They wouldn't have said shit about the photos. They would have talked about Simone because they dragged her through the mud too. So it's just like, there, it's Talk a lose. It. <laughs> this, this shoot was a lose lose. I think um, um, the way they drag her and Gabby and they just, ugh, ugh. yeah, that's, a whole I can't, other it's disgusting. Definitely. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. Back to <laughs> black Twitter, not being trash sometimes. Um, <laughs> so thinking about where you are right now, your own sensibilities, where you want to go. How do you see yourself fitting into this lineage of Black women photographers, like the Carrie Mae Weems and the others that you pointed out earlier? How do you think that you're going to add to this legacy? Yeah. um, So the ones that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, Shelly B is my mom and Issa Hopkinson is my nephew. He's like seven right now. Okay. Um, but I still nonetheless pull inspiration from both of them. Uh Um, you know, that's such an interesting question. Um, it's crazy because I look at myself right now as after COVID none. I mean, I know COVID's not over, but, um, I see myself in like two parts, like before COVID and after COVID. Mm -hmm. And the work that I've been working on, per, like person, it's just been straight personal work. Um, and the self portraits that I've been creating, and the direction in which I want to go with, which are gorgeous, by the way. Thank you, thank you. I can't wait to share like 
this new stuff that I'm planning right now. I'm excited. Um, me too, girl. I'm like, I want to do it right now. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. Um, the direction that I want to go in um, with my style is so drastically different than what I was shooting before. Mm. And part of it comes from me just accepting myself just like as I am um, no longer trying to be what I think others want me to be, you know, because mm. that just never, it clearly just, it didn't work for me. <laughs> I don't think it works for anybody. No. Um, at some point you just have to be like, okay, it's time to stop. Um, and I guess, let me be clear. I wasn't being someone else. I just wasn't showing up as myself fully. Um, so I was really watering, really watering down myself. It was, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's kind of laughable now that I look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I hope with the direction that I go in, that I'm going in and the work that I plan to put out that I'm right up there. I want, like, those are my girls. Like I, I look up to them, mm-hmm. you know, um, carry her images the way she talks about her work the way she works just her everything like that's she's mother like Mm. I want I want my name next to hers if not next like next up like Mm -hmm. you gotta claim it like I would I my goal this year I was looking at the goals that I wrote I wrote down like last year at the end of last year Mm -hmm. I still want to shoot a beauty campaign and I still want to like a big one. Like I, I want to do the same things that, you know, I wanted to do before quarantine, mm-hmm. but like I'm no longer accepting things that aren't for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to shoot and show up fully as myself. So I want to shoot in my style. I want to shoot and be happy with what I create. Right. Mm-hmm. How would you, describe your style like what do you want people to walk away with when they see your work you know the way I see the style I see it in like 30 or 40 years right Mm -hmm. and I see maybe someone my age now looking at it and feeling like it was just created Mm -hmm. like I really want my work to be timeless yeah I think of my mom mm. when I think of me showing up fully as myself mm-hmm. and she was just effortless and kind and soft and strong and beautiful and smart. Mm-hmm. And her common sense was just like ridiculous. Like I just be like, huh? <laughs> like, how'd you even... It's crazy. Um, so it's, I want my work to be all of those things. I want mm. my work to be soft. I want it to be timeless. I want it to be beautiful. I want there to be a sense of um, empathy in it. Mm. Um, and I want it, I want it to be strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a great way of putting it. And it kind of yeah. 
like the way that you shoot your portraits and the the women that you're shooting it makes sense for it to be like a manifestation of all those qualities that you see in your mother so yeah i think that's yeah that was my girl Mm -hmm. all right um so that kind of brings us to the end i just have a couple questions that i like to close out on um the first is can you recommend so kind of give three shout outs to three other young black creatives um who are doing their thing and pushing the culture forward as we say I feel like only two come to mind right now um that's fine too Irvin Johnson okay he is a photographer Mm -hmm. who makes um life-size portraits Mm. that are um well some of his work is manipulated um (laughs) and put back together Mm. um like not necessarily composites but like you have to really you have to take a look at it it's really it's really beautiful Um, and he and it's like he destroys the image a little bit Mm -hmm. and then he puts back parts of it yeah that sounds um and he has like his older body of work um was like based on this beautiful story of like Mm. this lineage of like father and son and it's so majestic and beautiful. Yeah, these pieces are gorgeous. I see what you're talking about. It's not a composite, but he's like, like he yeah, tears so he the image his... and then yeah. puts it back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he 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 um he would print one large portrait on like a million different little four by six photos, and then he would put it together on the canvas. Mm-hmm. And like choose pieces to take apart and to put back, so it's like, it's it's really gorgeous. Okay, so he's one, and then the other one. Um, I really love Photo Dre. Oh he does like, yeah, yeah. Sure. So like he does like a lot of, you know, street photography and the way in which he talks about photography just reminds me of the reason why I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, he develops and shoots all his own stuff, so that's also why I'm probably like just super in love with it. <laughs> and yeah. you know, he'll take photos in his neighborhood, or he'll take photos like on the train. He's based in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a lot of stuff for like the New York Times and stuff. But I just remember following him. Like, uh, it's been years now at this point, mm-hmm. and it's just like, damn, like wow. Yeah. Like I just love to see the evolution of artists. He is um, definitely a worthwhile follow. Um, yeah. Amazing feed. All right. So the, those are the two that you want to shout out, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure someone will will enjoy those follows. Um, so my final question is, what does it mean to you to be young, original, and Black? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, timeless. Can I answer with one word? It just you can. It just means timelessness to me because it's like 
will forever be the standard regardless (laughs) if you want to acknowledge it or not you know so it's just like it's like you know with every new generation we set new trends and it's just like you it's just a, a circle you know yeah the cycle and then yeah and then it's like what the new generation is now heavily influenced by the 90s mm-hmm. huh like they're so nostalgic so it's just like and then they put like their own like little twist on it mm-hmm. it's just so cool so it, it to me it's just timelessness yeah that's a great word yeah. i don't think anyone's ever said that so far yeah thank you for that of course so do you have anything that you want people to know about that you want to plug shout out you can do that now oh yes so I have, um, I still have copies of my book, Counterpoint. It's available for purchase on my website. Um, everything connected to me is always with Nick Rich in it. Mm-hmm. So that's N-I-K-K-R-I-C-H uh, dot com. That's where you can find my work and my book. And I also have like these little digital illustrations that I make of my work. <laughs> on there so you could buy prints as well um, oh I looked at that the other day and I wanted one so yeah thank you for the reminder yeah <laughs> um and you can also follow me at Nick Rich Photo which is also N as in Nancy I-K-K-R-I-C-H photo um and keep a lookout for my self-portraits and all my new work I'm gonna put out soon Yes, please do, because I know it's going to be gorgeous and fire and all of the things. Yeah, I'm pumped. All right. Thank you just like so much for this conversation. It's been really lovely. This was fun. Yeah. I never get to talk about my stuff. Like, really? I'm just like always working and it just sometimes it's so hard. <laughs> I want to say thanks again to Nick for this lovely conversation. I'm going to share my top three takeaways. Number one, learn to tap into your inner voice. Not the negative self-talk one, but the honest voice that tells us our truth. And then learn to listen to it, uh, not some of the time, but all of the time. Number two, do what you have to do to make it happen. Nick very candidly shared about her struggles um, with getting to her internship and then saving up the money to make that first leap out to LA. There's often very little glamour in chasing your dreams as a creative, but if you love it and feel that it's your purpose, you will find a way to make it happen. Number three, don't be afraid to slow down and learn your craft. Uh, Nick talks about this in reference to learning on a 35 millimeter camera. Um, She had to slow down in order to conserve film because you don't want to waste it when you're spending so much money. It pays to be intentional and take your time. Uh, So those are my top three takeaways from this conversation. As always, I'd love to know what you took away from it as well. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can post about it and tag me at Aisha in Progress and or at All Original by AO on Instagram. And I would love to hear from you. Um, be sure to follow Nick. Pick up one of her photo books. Holidays are coming up. That could be a great gift. 
I hope that you all enjoy your holiday this weekend. Um, Happy Thanksgiving in advance. Stay safe. Um, And that's all I got for this episode. So until next time, stay young, stay original, and stay black. This is your host, Aisha, signing off.